Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro just after midnight on Sunday. Uh, Today was a really awesome day. It is one week since our one year anniversary and we are still kind of buzzing off of how awesome that was and just how crazy it is that we made it a year. Uh, huge, huge thank you to anyone who's been a part of this journey in any way and huge journey to everybody who came out last week and anybody who watched online. It was really cool to celebrate with you. I just, uh, I don't know. I can't believe that we did it. I mean, sort of, I can't believe it, but on the other hand, it feels like, yeah, of course we did because this is a really good idea that people need. And, um, I think people have seen that and confirmed that, and uh, I think we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. So thank you so much for being a part of it. Uh, I don't really have any announcements uh, for today. All of the big things that we were kind of announcing have already passed. Hannah's going to take care of a couple of announcements once she starts talking. Um, I did kind of want to take a second here since I don't have any real announcements uh, to go through some of our core values. If you've been listening for a while, maybe you don't know these. Um, If you're brand new, you definitely don't know them. You can find these on our website, diffchurch.com. There's a a button that says how we're different. So these are kind of our core values. Here's what we got. We definitely don't have all the answers. That's our first first core value. Uh, I think that's a really cool way to start a church. feels like so many other churches start based on like, no, we, we know the answers. This is the best way to do it. And if you disagree with us, you're wrong and you're kicked out. So that's not us. We don't have it all together. If that's you, come be a part of it. Uh, number two, we're radically inclusive. No matter who you are, um, race, uh, gender identity, uh, anything, you're welcome with us. We don't think that there's anything wrong with you. We think that you are awesome. You are allowed to fully participate as your full self at different church. Number three, we think the Bible is amazing and kind of weird. It's pretty weird. There's some weird stuff there. I think a lot of uh, evangelical churches don't really want to talk about some of the weirdness because they just want to tell you that, no, 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 you just believe what it says. And and that's that. Uh, I don't know, man. There's some weird stuff in there. We, We love the Bible. We absolutely think the Bible is, uh, it teaches the best way to live and, uh, it contains, uh, a record of our understanding of God and it's incredible. It's, it's like our favorite thing, but we just want to be honest about what we're reading. Number four, we love the earth. That's a little Dicky song for you. We love the earth. Anyway, <laughs> we want to do our best to try and, uh, help keep the planet as healthy as we can. Uh, number five, we're financially transparent and responsible. We um, can, we'll tell you about our finances at any point that you ask. Uh, we have some really cool reports that we're getting ready to put together to share. Um, we try and be responsible. We, we try and give away as much money as we can to the community and to nonprofits who are doing really cool work. And we don't spend money on things that are extravagant and that we don't really need to do church. Number six, we talk like humans. Um, You'll probably never hear us praying a hedge of protection around someone. Um, All these weird like Christianese words. We don't we don't do that. Uh, Last and not least, number eight, we're music fans. Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped number seven. We like to hang out. Um, That's one of our big things. It was actually really hard to do that core value for the past year because it's been so hard to hang out. 
But starting this week, small groups. Boom. Okay. Last but not least, we're music fans. Uh, the music that you hear at different is different than other churches. We're okay with something that's not like a straight up worship song. We sing songs that are laments. We sing songs that are a little more performancey. Sometimes we do worship stuff, of course, uh, but we just really love the arts and we love to um, engage uh, with music in our service in a different way than other churches. Okay, thank you for uh, listening. And anyway, here's Hannah. I think she's ready to dive into some scripture. Okay, so before we jump into the scriptures, a very exciting, important announcement. So if you were here last week, you may have heard me mention that Easter, we may not be here because they are replacing the floor. I don't know if you've walked over there, but there's a giant bubble in the floor on account of the roof leaked and ruined the floor. So they're going to be replacing the floor and fixing some leaks. So we are going to be not in this building for two weeks. So don't show up here on Easter. Not only will we not be here, this place will be a disaster. So we are still having Easter service, don't worry. We are actually going to have it in a park, downtown St. Pete. It's going to be at North Straub Park, which if you're confused about, like it's in between the pier and the Vinoy. Um, and it's like got that trellis place. So um, it's going to be a bring your own chair slash blanket slash anything you want to sit on. We will not have the ability to transport any chairs. So it'll be kind of like, just, you know, chill. Come out and have a rolled back Easter, just like Jesus rolled back the stone. <laughs> Shout out to Bree who came up with that pun. <laughs> so that's what we will be doing. We are going to have a little Easter egg hunt for any of the kids right after the service. And then um, anyone who wants to can stay and we can walk down to the pier where they have a splash pad. Um, and some pizza, and they have all those little things. So if you haven't been to the St. Pete Pier, it's pretty fabulous. And then the following Sunday, we're not having church. Instead, we're going to the beach. So uh, if you feel that you have had enough Jesus, <laughs> enough spirituality, we're going to the beach. So we're going to go to Treasure Island because they have lots of parking, and they also have, um, it's a little more accessible than other beaches. They have that blue mat thing that goes out almost all the way to the water. So if you have trouble walking in sand <laughs> for any reason, that will help you. And then after that, hopefully we'll be back in this building. Cool? So if you need more details about that, which you will, you need to sign up for our email newsletter because that is where you will get all the details. The service will be at the same time on Easter, so 10.30 in the park downtown. All right. Time to talk about the Bible. So our passage today is from Numbers, which is the fourth book in our Protestant Bible. And we are going to pick up with our friends, the Israelites, as they are traveling from Egypt to the Promised Land. So our passage is from Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9, and we'll read it together, and then we'll discuss so this is the NLT translation. It says, Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained, There's nothing to eat and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. And then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. And then the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole, and all who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. 
So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to the pole. And then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. This, like much of the Old Testament, is odd. (laughs) It's an odd little narrative. It takes place near the end of Moses' life and the conclusion of a long narrative about how the Israelites are wandering around in the wilderness. So they're near the promised land. They're near modern-day Israel. They're approaching it from the south. They have tried to get in through the land of Edom, who won't let them through. Uh, They have to turn around, go a different way. They get to Mount Hor. This is important because Aaron dies there. Aaron is Moses' brother. He was the first high priest of Israel. Um, It's kind of like a changing of the guard. Moses is about to die. Aaron has died. Everything's about to change. And we do not know the exact location of Mount Hor, um, but I have a picture, which hopefully you can see through the lights. Um, It's kind of near where that red arrow is. Somewhere in there is a mountain that they parked at. And then Edom, the land that they couldn't get through, is right above it. And they asked Edom very nicely if they could just travel through their land. And Edom was like, hard pass. Not only can you not come in, here's our army. (laughs) Get out. And they had decided, like, are we going to fight them? Are we just going to go back and try to go around the southern border near the Gulf of Aqaba? Why? Who cares? Well, the Israelites are near the end of their journey. And they are just plain worn out. There's a reason they decided not to fight Edom. They have been fighting people the whole story. Like they've been getting in skirmishes. They've been having small wars. They're about to embark on a huge war when they get into the land and start taking over people. But this one, they just can't can't handle it. It's too much. Seems like too hard, too dangerous, too much effort. And the NLT translation says the people grew impatient with the long journey. I don't really think that's strong enough. Um, Like another translation would read more like the way I would put it, which would say the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the long way. Now, the Israelites were not a particularly patient group of people to begin with. And this latest setback, having to turn around, like they're so close to their final destination and they have to turn around and go back down and around, did not sit well with them seem like the straw that broke the camel's back, which is valid. It's a valid pun because they did literally have camels. (laughs) So they're complaining. They're complaining about God. They're complaining about Moses. They're like, why have you brought us out of here? Egypt, we're just going to die in the wilderness. There's no bread. There's no water. And our soul loathes this light, unappetizing bread called manna. So they're complaining about Moses, but they're, they're first and foremost complaining about God. They're complaining about Yahweh. Yahweh is the divine name for God. Because it's God who brought them out of Egypt and has been telling them to wander around the wilderness for what seems like forever, and they get turned away again. And this is the narrative at the end of a 10-chapter narrative called the Murmuring Stories, where God's people are like, is God even in charge of this? We don't know. And they just complain for like 10 chapters. And we just like to sit in judgment of the Israelites. We're like, oh, The Israelites, what a bunch of complaining, whining people. We would never do that in the same situation. Of course we would. They're tired and they're cranky and they're beyond impatient about their destination. They're basically like a a group of toddlers who are overtired and overstimulated and they're just screaming, are we there yet? Over and over and over again at God and poor Moses 
who is like their parent in the situation. Since Numbers chapter 11, they have been longing for the good old days. The good old days where they were slaves in Egypt. Does that sound like a good old day to you? No. But the journey seems like it just caused them nothing but trouble. Just one thing after another, making it more difficult, their lives more hard. And the deeper they get into the desert, the more romantic is this memory that they have of Egypt. They're like, you know, we were slaves. We were beaten and harassed daily. The soldiers constantly made our lives miserable. We were forced to work for no pay. And they kept raising our work quotas. And people literally died because of heat exhaustion. Um, but at least we had good food. At least we had things like cucumbers and fish and melons and onions and garlic to eat. I mean, I feel like I would complain here as well. I could do without cucumbers and melons in my life. But onions and garlic? Hard pass. And I know it might be confusing because the text says the Israelites are complaining. There is no bread and we hate this bread because manna is bread. But let's think about the difference. So manna is like, it's been described as like these wafer-like honey breads. So very sweet. It's, it was described as something kind of like the coriander seed that they would grind up and make into bread. So, you know, essentially ancient breakfast pastries. Delish. Do you want to eat that every day? Three meals a day? For years? No. I can only eat so many sweets before I'm dying for something savory. The Israelites are the same way. They've been living on honey bread, and they just really want a Cuban sandwich. <laughs> so they don't want this breakfast stuff. They want that, like, savory, crusty goodness that comes from dinner. And they're very mad about it. So the scenes is set, right? Times are hard. The people are on edge. They're at odds with each other. They're at odds with God. They're at odds with Moses. You can just imagine if this was a movie, like the soundtrack getting creepier and building in the background. And then... Cue the snakes. Now, if I were watching this movie, I would want to fast forward through this part. <laughs> um, or at least, like, close my eyes and tell Josiah, be like, wake me up when the snakes are done. <laughs> you are never going to catch me watching snakes on a plane. <laughs> and I'm guessing I'm not alone, but, like, if it's, if it's snakes or something else in our lives, we all have this tendency to just, like, grit our teeth and get through it. We're like, we'll just make it through it as quickly as possible. Just wake me up when this part is over. We're going to hold on to the armrest and make it through as quickly as possible. Hopefully, we'll get to the other side. There won't be too many bite marks. And maybe this is how the Israelites started their journey when they were just blown away by the fact that they were walking on dry land through these huge walls of water in the Red Sea, and they escape, and it's wonderful. But eventually, that adrenaline wears out, and they're just in the desert and they've discovered that God's not always a comfortable companion. And in the middle of their journey, things are literally jumping up and biting them in the butt. The text says, fiery serpents appeared among the people, and many people died. Now, there's no shortage of snakes in the desert. So the list included like horned vipers, puff adders, cobras, and an especially lethal serpent known as the North African carpet viper. I've only put one picture of a snake up here. Okay, so don't, there's not gonna be multiple pictures. Everybody take a breath in if you're afraid of snakes, it's okay. And as a side note, just so you know how my brain works, if you, like when YouTube first started, there was a video called I'm a Snake. <laughs> and there was just a guy who was, to me, he seems pretty intoxicated. For like a minute and a half, he just goes, I'm a snake. 
And every time I see a picture of a snake, my brain goes, I'm a snake, every time. So that's how my brain works. But anyways, horrible and snakes infest their camp. They start biting everyone. One poisonous snake, too much, in my opinion. Their camp is overrun by poisonous snakes. And unfortunately, this is like a fairly true metaphor of life. Like hardship and difficulty sometimes springs up and bites you when you least expect it. And often when you're already at the end of your rope, when you're already like, are we there yet? When you've already lost all patience and all will to live, something else is added on top of that. Kate Bowler, who is a professor at Duke Divinity School, she published a book, which I just love the title. It says, everything happens for a reason and other lies I've loved. <laughs> because it's a memoir about her journey. She was 35, she had this amazing career, she's a professor, she's married, she has a newborn baby, and then she gets stage four colon cancer diagnosis. So what are you supposed to do? And people were like, everything happens for a reason. And she's like, really, what's the reason for this? Because this feels pretty awful. And in the middle of wrestling with her mortality, she encounters this inspirational speaker. And she's like, okay, yeah, I'll go see them. Like, I need a little pep, like, little inspiration in my life. And the speaker basically says, I don't want to deal with heavy stuff. We don't want to talk about death or the fact that it exists. Uh, I don't want you to talk about it either. We're just going to be happy. And she's really mad about this because she's living through something pretty awful. And she says, everyone is trying to Easter the crap out of my lint. Now, Jan Edmondson says, Lent reminds us that there is a world of suffering out there. This is the season that we remember that death is part of life, and we are actually called to notice it. We are called to face it. We're called to let the reality of death reprioritize our lives. Now, if you grew up in, in the evangelical church, you may not know much about Lent. Lent is the period before Easter, before Easter Sunday which of course is in a couple weeks. It's the time in the Christian calendar that is actually specifically set aside to reflect on hard things, like sad things, death, mortality, loss. We reflect on Jesus' death during Lent, and we don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to. Like In our culture, we're like, just be happy. Everyone be happy, positivity, delighted, like name it and claim it, I am blessed, okay, everything is wonderful. Um, <laughs> blam it and grab it is what I call it and like just, just manifest all the wonderful things in life. And that is not an accurate reflection of who we are as humans. And I find it wonderful that the Christian calendar, the liturgical calendar, actually has a period of time set aside for people to grieve, for people to think about the hard things that we've encountered in life, for people to actually just be upset together. Because it's not an accurate reflection of life to be happy all the time. Sometimes things are awful and terrible. Sometimes emotions are high. Sometimes we're at the end of our rope, and then one more thing gets added. Another snake jumps up and bites you. And this is where the Israelites are. And they come to Moses, and they're like, we've sinned. We've spoken against Yahweh. Please, please talk to God. We've got to get rid of these snakes. They're overwhelmed by the presence of these snakes. And so they interpret what's happening to them as a punishment for their complaining. And they're like apologizing. They're like, please beg God. Just do whatever you have to do. Just take the snakes away. And so Yahweh talks to Moses. They have this conversation. And God says, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. And all who are bitten will live if they just look at it. 
So Moses makes this brass snake, he puts it on a pole. Anyone who looks at it, they've been bitten by a snake, they live, they don't die. And just a fun trivia tidbit, the word brass actually can refer to several different metals here, but archeologists think that this was a copper snake. There's some copper metallurgy that they found in that area. It's very strange, in my opinion, that God asks Moses to make a snake and put it on a pole because God specifically prohibits in Exodus making a graven image, making an image of something for you to look at. And actually later in the Old Testament, King Hezekiah takes the snake and breaks it into pieces because the Israelites kept it and they were burning incense to it and offering like sacrifices to the snake. So they believed that the snake itself had supernatural powers and they were making sacrifices to the snake instead of to God. What? The text has no comment. It's one of my favorite things about the Bible. That it's like, this happened. Figure it out. Why would God tell them to make a snake and put it on a pole and look at it if God knew that they were going to invest this copper snake with some kind of supernatural power and then worship later and like turn it into a whole thing? Doesn't comment text just says, think about that in your own terms. Now, it is worthy of note. I have a picture. Some of you may have seen this picture. This is the American Medical Association. It's like a snake on a pole. Sometimes you'll see a snake, two snakes on a pole in reference to medicine. And I have heard people say that this symbol is from the Bible. That is not true. So if you want to feel superior to all of your friends, you can say, no, no, that snake is actually a replica of the rod of Asclepius, who is the divine Greek god of healing. <laughs> so he was associated with healing and medicine, and that is what this symbol is based on. But it, the reason that the Israelites recognize it is because it was a common thing in their world. A snake on a pole was something they might have recognized before. Now, in the New Testament, we encounter the same symbolism of the snake when Jesus says in John, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So Jesus is establishing a parallel between the snake on a pole and his own crucifixion on the cross. And just as the snake on a pole gave new life to the Israelites who looked at them, looked at it, so Jesus' death brings new life to people which is an interesting parallel because the snake that bites and kills is also the snake that heals and gives life. And what if the hard places in the desert are not actually places to escape from? They're places from which soul medicine comes forth. New life comes out. And when we think about Easter and journeying through Lent, journeying through the dark times to get to Easter. Typically, we just skip straight to Easter. We're like, Jesus is risen, hallelujah, wonderful. But there's death before Easter. There's death before the resurrection. And I'm reminded of the words in, of Jesus in Matthew 18, where he, Jesus says, those who want to save their life, they'll lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Because the snake that kills also brings the healing. The cross that kills Jesus is also a tree of life for all of us. The empty tomb of the resurrection is already hidden in the crucifixion. And perhaps we should not be so quick to say it's either this or that. That's not the way of God. We want clear answers, easy answers. 
everything to be explained, but that's not the way of God. And maybe it's more accurate to say it's this and it's that. Two things can be true at once. It's not either or, it's both and. There's death and there's life. There's despair and there's hope. There's anxiety and there's peace. There's depression and there's joy. There's sickness and there's health. And this is the tension that we live in. And it's the tension that lives in us as humans. And sometimes it's really hard to know whether love feels like dying or being lifted up. Sometimes it's really hard to get from Good Friday, which we call Good Friday, the day that Jesus dies, right? That's anything but good. It's hard to get from that place to Easter morning when Jesus is resurrected because Lent always goes through the darkness before Easter. And the passage tells us that the answer to the Israelites' pain was lifting their eyes to see a snake on a pole. And the church says that the answer to our pain is lifting our eyes to see Jesus on a cross. And it's really hard to lift our eyes from our present situation and trust in the light of God's redeeming grace. It's really hard when you're in Lent to say, but Easter is coming. It's really hard if you're actually reflecting in Lent. It's really easy to skip Lent altogether and just be like, and Easter. Woo! It's great, but it's not, it's not who we are as people. We live in the tension. And Jesus came as a human to say that living in the tension is good, that it's okay not just okay, but valid. It's worth something to live in the tension between Lent and Easter. And so may we lift our eyes from whatever is going on in our lives. Maybe you're at the end of your rope and you feel like a snake just bit you again. Or maybe that's not where you are. But whatever's going on in our lives, may we actually lift our eyes from what is happening right here and reflect on God's grace and reflect on the magnitude of what God has done for us and the life that comes from something that was a symbol of death because the cross was a symbol of death and destruction and horror. And yet what comes from that is peace and hope and freedom and opportunity and grace and inclusion and acceptance and affirmation. We just have to lift our eyes. So I would ask you to stand and we're going to sing two more songs and maybe just reflect on that as the band sings. <laughs>